Welcome to a huge 29th episode of Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway. We've got Gregory Euclid today, which was quite fascinating. I think I can listen to him talk for extended, extended periods of time, so we've got a little bit lengthy of an interview, but I think it's really great, so stay tuned for that. Just a couple of announcements before we get started today. Again, the MFA BFA 2012 Studio Break competition is open. If you'd like more information on that, just go to Studio Break on Facebook. You'll see information listed under the calendar events. Rules are pretty straightforward. We've got some great entries so far, but the deadline is coming up May 31st, so please check that out, MFA and BFA students. For the rest of you, we'd love it if you could like us on Facebook or spread the word. We've been getting some great comments from various people. We've got a lot of different listeners that are growing international, so shout out to Bolivia right there. And the last little bit of news is that I have a solo show that's opening June 16th at the Peoria Art Guild. I hope a lot of people can make it out for that. And now it's time for that great interview with Gregory Euclid, probably one of my favorites. It's been hard sitting on it all week, so please enjoy and stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am here with uh, Gregory Euclid. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, It's nice to have you on. Um, I always like to start off just by getting a a good background of, uh, you know, where people grew up. And so, uh, where did you grow up? I uh, grew up north of Milwaukee in a little town called Cedarburg. Um, it's a very touristy little town. Uh, kind of, we grew up out in the country, and my father always built our houses. And, uh, so it was kind of like we, you know, we lived in different places while we were building our houses, and uh, it's a pretty, pretty nice place to grow up. And is that something also that you partook in in terms of <laughs> yes. helping out and? Yeah, I mean, I think I always remember it being that I did more than I actually did, but... <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was up on the roof nailing in cedar shake shingles and holding up stud walls, and, you know, we did it from scratch. So, uh, yeah, that was something that I definitely remember taking part in, helping out. And it was... Have you have you been... I, I guess, had you lived there um, for, for a long time, or you, you've kind of implied that you're... That you move around a little bit too. Is that something? Uh, that- yeah, we we kept building new houses. So my father built a, a house in town, which was kind of on the edge of town when we first built it. And then, uh, you know, he had solar collectors on the side of the building. And this was, you know, way back in the late seventies that he had put solar collectors on. And it was one of the only houses in like southern Wisconsin that had its own solar collectors and he built them himself you know i'm always kind of amazed at you know he just goes to the library and reads about it and then he builds it right that's right what, that's what he did for our house so we we lived in that house for a while and then we moved further out into the kind of rural areas that weren't so subdivisiony right. um i mean it was pretty rural in the first place but as we as that subdivision filled in we moved further out and we built another house and this house was like a passive solar home so enormous windows open floor plan sun would come in and bake the tiles then you'd close the windows at night and they would keep the heat inside and right right so yeah we we moved around a little bit but uh it was all within the same town just building different houses well, and so obviously, too, you know, it's if anybody sees any, especially any of the, the relief work or just all the, especially all the craftsmanship, it seems like that, that could be a easy uh, parallel, you know, in terms of 
construction and, 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 and building and learning how to, you know, work with your hands in that. But, um, did you also then at the same time kind of find, find that you were creative in terms of just like drawing or painting or anything like that? Or, or did that come later? Um, I think growing up, I didn't really have an awareness to that. Like, you know, when I'm talking about like, uh, being like six, seven, eight, nine, that age, I didn't really have a, an awareness that I was, you know, any more gifted than anyone else at drawing or anything like that. Um, I remember being in, uh, I went to a grade school and, you know, someone else won the award for best artist at the end of the year. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, you know, I think I was a little jealous at that time. So I, I think at that young age, I, I knew that I, I was interested in that subject matter, but it was really in, uh, late grade school that I started like really pursuing it and that's because you'd be doing drawings at your desk during math class or something like that and then a girl would lean over and be like oh what's that right (laughs) and and, like Piaget or you know any any kind of Skinner or whoever it was I think uh, that you know they 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 tell you that you, you end up kind of being reinforced by certain things you know sure whatever you get reinforcement for you'll end up doing more often because it's so if a girl leaned over your shoulder and she was kind of cute and she was like interested in your drawings that made you want to draw harder <laughs> sure you know <laughs> for sure for sure um well and it's it's interesting too because i mean um that experience of um i guess wanting to or, or not knowing what what the what those potentials are you know there's something that you could do or in that that kind of competition i remember that, that i worked at a movie theater and there was this guy there that could like really draw, you know, just super, super technical drawing. And you, I have no idea, obviously, what happened to this kid. But you know, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it ever comes out as something that you think to set out to do, maybe as a real career at first, you know. But yeah, I think maybe. I, I mean, I honestly, I teach now, sure. and I honestly think that uh, part of being at least the beginning stages, you know, like an artist, no one, no one sets off to be Rachel White Reed when they're like, you know, 10 years old or something. Right, right. So that conceptual stuff kind of comes afterwards, I think. But, um, you know, part of being an artist is having a skill of observation and being able to reproduce that. Like you can tell the difference between this light tone and that dark tone, and you can tell the angle at which this, you know, plane goes back into space and so on. And I think growing up out in the country, and just spending a lot of time alone observing things, uh, you know. I mean, that was like that was my big thing to go in the woods, build a fort, and then just sit in there and watch. You know, see what happens when no one knows that I'm there. You know, what do the squirrels do and stuff like that. And so, just observing, I think, really kind of helped me along that technical line. Right, right. And, and so then, did you? You, you kind of described. Um, that time where you weren't necessarily, you know, as into it or, or I don't know. Yeah. What was it like when you started that process and where you started really kind of focusing on it a little bit more, even though, you know, again, I, I'm guessing that we're talking about something maybe like in the, in the teen, teenage years or high school. Yeah, this, this would be like, I think I started focusing on it probably like in eighth grade, seventh grade, you know, and again, it was just kind of like, it was, it was something that I did that I was, that I found enjoyable. You know, you could go out and draw a tree and make it look like a tree. 
And of course, my father was an art teacher, so like you know, I had art supplies available. It was never like you know, it wasn't like Tiger Woods or anything like that. My, <laughs> sure. <laughs> my dad was like, "Let's go draw a tree, son." You know, <laughs> uh, it was it was never like that. But you know, my mom was a gardener, and she had an enormous gardens. Our house was like you know, uh, Versailles or something like it was just you know, gardens everywhere. And so I was around this stuff. And I would I would draw it and take photographs of it, and it kind of you know it gave me pleasure. So I did uh, I did more of it, and then the, you know it was just kind of like a game, like how how skillful can you get, how detailed can you get? So you keep drawing and keep drawing, and you get rewarded. You know your art teacher would send something in, and you'd win an award, and so then you, you'd be like, oh, I'm good at this. And in terms of then what you were doing too, I mean, was it all? like you're talking about kind of like observational drawings of like, you know, natural kind of things or I pick up oak leaves, maple leaves, put them on a white sheet of paper and just draw them as detailed as I could. Right. Right. And, uh, do portraits of myself in the mirror. I remember once I was just telling the story the other day, I stayed up for like three nights really late, you know, as a high schooler drawing this portrait of myself. And I used, my parents had gotten me a, a, like a drawing table. It's just, I still have it in the studio. It's just this white, you know, table that has like a Formica top on it that you can kind of tilt and stuff like that. And I used to keep a, like a, a glass of you know juice or whatever next to me as I was drawing, listening to music. And I had finished it and all of a sudden I spilled the glass on oh, it. Man. And yeah, it was heartbreaking. I remember just the first time I ever felt like out of my head, you know, like that I had just spent that much time doing this thing and then basically destroyed it. Um, but what I ended up doing is taking that stain that was on there and turning it into something like kind of abstract within the the piece. And it ended up being, you know, better than it would have been, I think, if it was just a straight up portrait. So it was kind of an early learning lesson. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, because obviously the, the, the way that your work looks now, I mean, you know, there's there's that that relationship between the two, not just, you know, a pure representational obviously kind yeah. of kind of drawn thing um but i guess in, in terms of following that up is you did you pursue that in in terms of getting a degree in college right away or well i i was really you know in high school i never i don't know for what for whatever reason but i didn't i didn't think about college i didn't think about where you should go to college i didn't think about what to, you know i worked hard in high school and got decent grades and but i never thought about the next step and I don't know if that was because you know people weren't telling me you should be thinking about this or what but I just went to the school that my dad went to my grandma went to my art teacher went to and it was Oshkosh and so they were like you know everyone I asked around me was like well that seems like a decent school and they had a good art education program and it was like a five-year program and so I kind of just went to school where you know these people had suggested and I initially wanted to go in for graphic design, but I kind of made a decision that I didn't want to work for someone. And, right. you know, sadly <laughs> I found out that teachers, I mean, teachers do work for someone. You have an administration, but uh, you're at least a little bit more autonomous within your own classroom than you would be if you were a graphic designer. Sure. You know, there's no Coca-Cola saying like, Oh, that's too risque or, you know, that's not, you know, I would, I would hate to do that to be honest with you. Well, and it's, it's interesting too. And, you know, I, I teach myself, um, but, um, 
I always find it interesting that, you know, in, in terms of going in for like a graphic design degree, I mean, uh, Coca-Cola is probably really exciting to work for, whereas, I don't know, um, making an ad for a, a local mechanic like shop or something might, might really not be exciting at all. So, um, yeah. that idea of kind of controlling, you know, what you, what you're going to do, I mean, makes a lot of sense, obviously. And, um, and so was it, was it a big shift in terms of, um, I guess working through that arc, I mean, if you, if you have, um, you know, a father that's kind of an art teacher, I'm, I'm guessing that he had a pretty big influence on, on those things when you were younger. Um, what was it like, um, I guess starting to take classes and really kind of getting immersed with people that, you know, had studied it themselves and, and all that. Yeah. Well, my dad being an art teacher was, it was, you know, it was interesting. Like I said, he wasn't, he never steered us toward that. You know, the, the best thing that my dad gave me was this ability to just like be quiet, you know, like we'd go out on walks together through the forest and he wouldn't say a thing. I would just follow behind him, you know, and he'd stop every once in a while and like put his hand up, you know, right. like we're on a, you know, like on a nature hike and I was like a boy scout and we'd stop and listen, you know, and we'd hear an owl and we'd just stay still for like, you know, three minutes and then we'd keep going on. So that was kind of a greater influence than any kind of like art teacher, you know, like right. for the most part, when my dad came home, I didn't really know he was an art teacher. He was more of a engineer than anything like designing houses and stuff like that. But going to college then, you know, obviously there's this kind of honeymoon phase where you're alone and you're able to do what you want to do. And I was just very opinionated. You know, I thought, I see it in my own students. Like they start off as, freshmen they're like "Ooh, what is this thing called art and then as sophomores and juniors they're like wow i like this thing and then as seniors right as they're getting ready to leave it's kind of like they push away a little bit you know it's like uh they, they feel like they know everything right and i think that you know that had happened to me where i got really interested in a particular art movement and i wasn't interested in anything else and that was kind of sad because, like, you know, if someone had told me, like, look, surrealism and Dada and, you know, this whole thing that you're really into is, you know, it's cool, but there are all these other things out there. You should stay open-minded. I think that would have been kind of helpful because I had teachers in college who were trying to, like, introduce me to Agnes Martin and, you know, different different people that I just wasn't receptive to because I was so into this one thing. Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, that's, I mean, that's a question that, or a, a problem really that, you know, I think anybody that teaches is going to run into, um, you know, and something that I certainly run into all the time because, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, it's interesting. You're kind of wanting to balance out this idea of making it an interesting problem for, for someone to, to work through something, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you, you want them to challenge themselves and, and to, to try seeing what other possibilities there are aside from just what they're, you know, what you would naturally do each time, you know? Yeah. I mean, that what, what happens is, you know, what happened with me is I just fell in love with the style and I fell in love with the way it looked and, you know, I, I could do it kind of. So I kept doing it, you know, and I, I didn't remain open to, other possibilities it was like i dove in and it's kind of a double-edged sword you know like you want people to be interested in it and really get excited about it so you're not going to discourage them from doing what they love but also it's kind of like it's a big world and you, 
you know, it's good to kind of stay open-minded about that stuff so you don't pigeonhole yourself or lose track of, you know, that particular style within the grand scheme of things. Sure, sure. And so did you, did you wind up having to kind of go through, was it, was it like a, a teacher-oriented kind of degree, or was it, did it also have like a, a pretty heavy fine art component to it? Well, it was, it was, I actually graduated with a BFA and a BAE, which is a Bachelor of Art Education. And it was, like I said, it was a five-year program, so we knew going in that it was going to take us five years. We had a year of, like, grad school classes that we had to take. Um, and we did, you know, we did enough art, but it was nothing like, you know, I see a lot of my students who are really interested in art now go to MCAT, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. And there, like, every class they take is art. You know, which is kind of nice. And I always, you know, think back about my career in college and ask myself, you know, would I have been better off if I had gone to like an art college like that versus a state school? You know, I was taking, I was in like the honors society. So I was taking like these classes with like, you know, six kids in it and stuff. And we were taking like geology classes and uh, like honors Herman Hesse where we'd like, dissect Steppenwolf and like, you know, all these, uh, great works by him. And there were like, you know, 10 of us in a class. And I don't, I know I wouldn't have gotten that at, you know, like a MCAD type school. Right. And so I I do kind of feel like having a, a broader education kind of made me interested in more things. I wasn't so isolated just in the art world. Which is kind of weird because art is, you know, I think of it as a tool or a vehicle. It's like a way to address something as opposed to an end in itself. Sure. So in the end, you kind of want to know what it is you want to talk about with your work. Right, right. I think if you're only dealing with art, you kind of, you get into this spiral where your art is about art. And that gets to me just to be kind of a little, a little limiting well, and you know, and it's it's one of those things that you know, I, you know, it's it's been, gosh, five years since I since I finished my MFA, and um, you know, you start to you realize that you know things don't just happen in, in a bubble. You know, you you can't. I mean, in some ways, it's really difficult to even make something that I don't know. You can kind of you you can kind of really look at in a in an accomplished way when you haven't really you know done things or you haven't seen things or you haven't really kind of established those things that you're interested in, you know, outside of doing it for, for school or, um, you know, and it's just one of those things, I think, especially in a, in an academic setting where you can wind up focusing so much on that, that you miss out on all these other things that are going to feed what, what your creativity. Exactly. You know, and I, I took so many courses that had nothing to do with art and some of them I didn't want to take, but some of them really kind of made me understand the world in a different way. And I think that, you know, these art colleges, they get to do a lot of art and a lot of different processes and a lot of different techniques and, you know, working with, you know, printmaking and bookmaking and, you know, all this different stuff. And they really go in depth, but like, you're kind of missing out on all all of the other cool stuff. Like, what about economics? You know, what about, you know, stuff that they force you to take that really kind of makes you a, a broad-minded individual. I, I really think that that kind of helped me. I mean, honestly, I'd like to do both. <laughs> sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I think back, like, what would it be like if I just had art classes? Man, I would have, like, I think I would have uh, really enjoyed that. But, uh, 
sometimes what you really enjoy is not always what's best for you. Sure. Especially at an age like, you know, I was 19. I don't really know if I knew what was best for me at that point. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know when you, when, when you make that transition. I think you kind of <laughs> continually make, make transitions like that, you know? When I'm 60, I'll look back at myself now and say, yeah, like you knew anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but before kind of moving on from there, I mean, in terms of like, say, I'm guessing that you had to have a, a BFA show. Um, what, what kind of work was, were you making at the time then? Was it, um, having, having kind of, kind of gone through all of this intensive, you know, observation and, you know, really learning how to recreate, you know, certain things that you're, you know, observing. Yeah, the stuff I was doing in college when I graduated with my BFA was really, you know, it didn't, it didn't really utilize that other than the portrait. So I was painting portraits um, sometimes. Sometimes I was painting these like weird characters and I don't know where that came from. Um, but they were just like these characters that I'd make that kind of fit into this abstract background and then I started painting the you know portrait more realistically and kept this abstract background behind it and um, yeah I think the work was you know in high school I was making relief work which was kind of funny I have these pieces in my garage still <laughs> where I take canvas and put wood behind it and like take fish hooks and poke it through the canvas and pull it back. So it almost looked kind of like a theater set, uh, on the, you know, on the surface of the painting, there were folds and you know, areas that stuck way out. And then in, in college, I kind of stopped that and started making much more flat kind of paintings. And then they got more increasingly more realistic. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe, five or six years after I graduated college, maybe even more than that, eight years, that I started, you know, I just, I said, I don't, I don't need to paint the, uh, the figure anymore because I, I felt like I was just painting the figure to prove that I knew how to paint. You know, it was like, right. put, put a figure in there because then people, if you just paint abstractly, like anyone can paint abstractly, but if you have a figure in there that shows that you know how to paint, then people will respect it or think it's valuable which is, you know, an interesting way that I was looking at things. But a friend of mine told me, you know, he just said, the only reason you paint the figure in there is because you want to prove that you know how to paint. And I was like, yeah, I think that's spot on. You know, that's, that's probably true. So I took the figure out and I started just painting abstractly for a long time. And then uh, I started working really, really loose. And then that's kind of where I got to the point where I was thinking a lot about land and the landscape as being a theater where things unfold and so on. And so uh, we're, I don't know what, it's interesting that transition too, because, you know, even the, even the relief work that you're talking about, that's, you know, that old, I mean, obviously, you know, seeing, seeing the, the stuff that you're doing now, um, there's kind of like that cyclical, yeah, you know, pattern that, that kind of emerges there. But I mean, was, did it slowly start to open up in terms of, you know, well, what if I try including, you know, this kind of material or, or this, or, um, what was that transition like to move, um, or, or were you using a bunch of different materials and media, um, for, for the work that kind of was, was, uh, previous, these kind of figural kind of work? Um, well, some of the stuff, like, 
some of the figure paintings I was taking and like cutting logs and that and like so the cross section of it would be on there i was using lead type and pounding type into the surface of the painting and i was i was thinking a lot about when i was doing the portraits it was never a portrait per se it was supposed to be what that person was thinking about and so i would paint a portrait and then around them i would paint like this omniscient kind of you know, background, abstract background, where there would be weather symbols in there and there would be biological processes that were silk screened on there and there would be, you know, physics equations and, you know, all this stuff. And it was kind of like making the unseen seen. And I think that allowed me to kind of develop this multi-material thing because I was really kind of trying to address everything. You know, it was like, uh, so I would put these logs in there that were like cross sections and they were these cool circles with rings in them. And then I'd stamp inside of them, you know, I count the rings and see how many rings are on there. And like, if it was like eight rings, well then I'd stamp a C inside of it for carbon or, you know, whatever, uh, that kind of thing. I was putting a lot of abstract layers into the work. And so it seemed kind of natural to put that. Uh, more organic matter in there, but it was to no extent like I'm doing now. And, you know, to answer your question about like how these things unfold or how they happen, sometimes it's really quickly, like it's a matter of like one day and all of a sudden I'm thinking like these should be this way because something I did in my studio or sometimes it's like uh, with this certain type of painting I developed after the portraits it was like I was doing this other thing that was just really fun, but it wasn't my serious artwork. And so I'd have friends come over and we'd paint down in the basement these like 18 foot, you know, sheets of paper. We'd buy a roll of paper and just make this painting all night long. And it was really fun to do, but I never considered it my serious work. And then the serious work became what was fun. Right. You know, so it just kind of morphed into this thing. At, at a certain point, I became comfortable with the the stuff that was just enjoyable and started showing that, exhibiting that, and it kind of went from there. Whereas, like, the relief thing, that happened, you know, overnight. You mean, like, the incorporation of that into more of your current work? Yeah, so, like, I had... I'd been thinking about, you know, I'd been doing a lot of flat work where I was doing aerial views and horizontal views and all these different perspectives into one kind of cubist space, you know. And I was putting, like, biology in there and, you know, doing this kind of omniscient thing. And then one day I thought about, well, how, how can you include time into this? And so I, I thought about putting, like, three sheets of paper back to back, you know, like three sheets deep. And then what I would do is do a, a painting on one of them and then kind of rip through it and then go into the next one and kind of rip through that and kind of have each one of these planes be like a, a moment in time or a, a, a vignette, you know? Sure. And then as I was tearing them off and working with them, I worked kind of wet. So stuff started pooling up inside of the, the folds of the torn paper. And I was like, wow, I'm painting lakes on this sheet of paper, but right there is a lake, you know, like it's a lake of paint. Right. And so that just like instantly made me think like, well, the representation using paint and then actual topography, 
that seemed like a great juxtaposition, like to debunk the whole, uh, you know, window to a world kind of view where, you know, how can you project yourself into this space that's illusionistic if there's something there that is real? And so that made it uh, really clear to me that I could utilize the topography or the relief to kind of create this tension between the stuff that's painted and the stuff that is, you know, collected from the ground. Well, and, you know, it's, it's interesting and, and it makes me kind of wonder, um, you know, in terms of opening the, this, this aspect of it up or, you know, this kind of, you know, I'm guessing at the time, like a much larger exploration in, in terms of seeing like all the, all the potential and things. Um, did you, did you wind up, um, I don't know, re- researching or, or kind of, investing any, any time in that or do you it, was it something that you've already kind of built up because you'd always been outside and collecting things and, and observing things that way yeah i never i never really did any research on it you know it was just kind of like i i'm in my studio like it's my job you know i mean i have a real job that i go to nine to five and then I come home and then I spend every minute I can in there, like tinkering, you know, kind of trying to approach this idea from a different angle. And when, when I came up with that thing, it was just like, okay, well, what if I did this? And what if I did that? It's like, I just kind of keep pushing it. And at a certain point I read a lot of, uh, landscape theory. Mm-hmm. I think I started that after grad school. Um, yeah, I just started devouring, you know, book after book about, you know, how we view the land and how, you know, uh, the way in which you depict it is kind of political. And um, I think those things filter through my head. I never read a book and then say, I'm going to make a painting. You know, like it's it's never that concise. I, I, I pretty much learn through working. And so I know that, like, I just, and that's why I say I work like it's my job because it's just like it's one of those things that I keep making and keep making and keep making and eventually there's subtle modifications to the the, the language you know the, the visual language that it kind of changes over time or evolves into something that's more accurate you know more of a an accurate depiction of what I'm trying to, to get at right and then it changes yeah and then <laughs> like you, you read something or you know, you think about something or you see a material and you're like, wow, that's a great material. Like the, I started working with PETG, which is the stuff they use for vacuum packing, uh, you know, like headphones or action figures or whatever. And that material, you know, it's petroleum based. So I thought it would be great to like bend that, make that into, uh, you know, topography or use that as my framing material and have the landscapes kind of coming out like they were packaged or like the landscape was alive and that it was pushing out against this frame, you know, the whole history of the frame and what the frame means and what the frame does to the piece and like having that be bent or warped, you know? So there was, uh, in that instance, it was like a material that allowed me to kind of push the idea a little further. Well, and that's, that also, I was going to say in in some of the, the flat works, there's kind of a, you know, some curved, curved lines or linear elements. And some of them really, you know, do become part of that frame. Is that, is that kind of what you're referencing a little bit? 
with uh, when I was doing the flatworks and doing those lines, I was really thinking a lot about like how uh, you know one thing leads to another. Because I, I always felt like those flatworks were about like if then statements. You know, like if this is here, then that's going to be there. You know, if you have a river, then there's a possibility of a civilization. You know, in whatever you know, seventeen thirty, there's a possibility of a civilization being there because there's a river and we can get goods up and down it. And, you know, I mean, so there's. There's always kind of like this. I start off with a gesture, and then that gesture is just like paint on the, you know, it's kind of abstract. And I, I start thinking about like, well, that that's kind of green there. So those are fields. What, where does that go? Like, so it's a lot of, uh, like I said before, like these little vignettes that are kind of associated with each other. And those lines seemed to be this thing that not only visually, you know, connect these things, but also kind of feels like. Uh, like some kind of odd timeline or some kind of, uh, you know, um, diagrammatic uh, element that's maybe like a, you know, seed proliferation or, uh, you know, migratory patterns of birds. You know, it seemed to always have this double meaning for me that it's not only just a a decorative element which contrasts this or kind of adds to this notion of the pastoral, um, but it also has this kind of meaning of, like, Well, and and I guess one of the other questions, well, gosh, there's plenty of questions, <laughs> um, but um, so in terms of the material and kind of approaching materials, I mean, do you, I don't know, what, what's that process like? I mean, do you, do you wind up then, you know, just trying to want to experiment with a particular thing because you come across it or, you know, do you hold on to things that, that have been, you know, taking up space for years and years before you kind of figure out a way that you can use them? It's a little bit of both. You know, I never go out looking for materials. That seems a little too contrived for me. You know, like I, I, there are stores up here, like surplus stores that people go to to get, you know, all sorts of random stuff. You know, I went into one a couple times and I was like, oh, I could use that. I could use that. But it was just, it seemed too, like, disingenuous. You know, the stuff that I use comes from, like, things that I'm directly encountering on a day-to-day basis. And it's often stuff that's like multiples. You know, things that I can find for free, things that are commonly thrown away, things that, you know, I find out in the yard that aren't really supposed to be there, but are there, or things that are in the yard that are supposed to be there, um, you know, but I, I use them and mine them kind of like we do uh, in other areas of our economy. And so there's, a, you know, there's things that kind of inspire me in terms of materials, and a lot of times those things, it just kind of comes down to being what what's around me, you know. Uh, like I, when I go to Starbucks and I see those little, uh, I don't go to Starbucks very often, but when I travel, you you go in there and there's the place where you put your sugar in and stuff like that. And I see these little wooden stir sticks and I think about how many of those are used uh, around, the, around the globe, you know. And I, I think about what a you know, what an interesting material it is. And then some places you go and it's plastic. You know, uh, and there are these things like these common things that are free that are made out of materials. And it's like, I don't know, that just very, it's very interesting to me to know what we use on a daily basis without thinking about it. So I often try to recycle that stuff. Um, like I did a whole series of bubble wrap paintings where I painted on the back of bubble wrap. 
Um, because, you know, I, was, I kept getting bubble wrap in the, from my works being shipped back to me, and I had all this stuff, and I was like, well, what do I do with it? So I cut out each individual bubble and did a painting on the back, and then I, you know, mount those to the wall. Um, yeah, so materials are just kind of something that uh, I discover frequently enough to keep me interested. You know, I've never, I've never been a lacking Sure. from material. Are there any fun failures that that, <laughs> that didn't work out? Is, in terms of material? Yeah. Um, well, not that I can... Well, I used to use wax quite a bit. That's a good failure. Um, I mean, it was successful, but then it became a failure. <laughs> I used to... I would take little bits of paintings and, you know, grab them off of my work, just like take a handful of painting, and then kind of seal it in wax. And then I made these PETG domes that I slumped down into. They kind of look like, you know, uh, specimens. And I dipped them in wax to, like, seal them. And I would dip the whole thing in wax, like, you know, ten times to give it a nice big, thick coat around there. And then when I shipped them, one time I shipped them to L.A. and it got so hot in the UPS truck or FedEx truck or whatever that um, they melted. And the other time I shipped them, I shipped them to Denver, and the uh, altitude change popped them all. So it was right before my show. I had to go out there and buy a propane torch and, like, re-seal uh, them before the show yeah. on the opening night. Yeah, those those stories are always interesting. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting, too, because it seems like those limitations would be the kind of things that you... Or I don't know, you know, just even even that story that you were you were talking about that portrait that you did, um, you know, while you were in, in high school or, or grade school, and yeah. kind of finding a way to adapt. It seems like there's a lot of invention that comes from from things like that. Yeah, exploration. I think you know that's something that in my studio it's it's constant. You know, what can I do with this material? How can I push this material? You know, like I live by a cornfield, so after the people go through and like pick all the corn you know it's got monsanto written all over it and it's like they spray stuff in the soil it's like a great material for me because it, it's it's everything that the work is about and when i go up there there's tons of corn husks and they're bright red you know because they've gotten all the corn out of it and all that's left is the the husk and the whatever that center part is called the kernel type thing that's all bright red and i was like wow this is great you know it's free first of all second of all it has symbolic meaning you know in terms of what i'm doing with my work and addressing issues of land use and so i just started collecting as much of it as i could and put it in a barrel and now it's in my studio and i've got like you know 35 different bags of stuff hanging from the wall in my studio and when i need something i kind of go around and look and i was like does that fit the bill you know does that kind of match what i'm talking about here and uh then i can use these things because uh often now you know my materials come from the land and they have some kind of meaning behind them like buckthorn is a invasive species here you know it comes in and it takes over forests and uh i pull them out like hundreds of them a day uh and then i take and wash off the roots because the roots are black you know like black as night and then i save those things and use them in my work because that's another one of those things that has this great you know kind of confusing aura around it 
you know, it grows so well here, it destroys forests because it grows so well. Uh, so then, you know, what's wrong with it? You know, I guess it, it destroys a lot of forests, but it's also like this tree that grows incredibly well in this climate and in, in the soil. So there's this weird, like, you know, how did it get here? What do we do with it now? It's almost impossible to get rid of it. Yet it's kind of destroying the native forests, you know. But what was native here before this was native? I mean, there's always questions around, you know, that kind of make that material interesting for me. Well, and, and just to, I guess, kind of push it in, the, in that direction a little bit, I mean, because um, you've talked about especially not necessarily being, like, setting out um, to research a specific point and to kind of make it, but, I mean, um, is there a certain reaction that you want to get from from people that, that experience it? Um, you know, I should have in mind a, a reaction that I want, but I, I honestly probably don't think about the other enough. <laughs> in terms of like what I expect them to get from it. I know that I've made a structure that I want to have viewable by a body and have a relationship to the body. So I want it to be relief because people can walk around it. And it's different than being able to own it from a single vantage point. You can't just project yourself into it. You know, it's not a rectangle on a wall that's flat that you can just like you know, sit in front of. It has some interactivity, so it, it's not something that's really viewable very well from the internet. Um, I don't make prints of that work for you know for that reason. I don't. It's supposed to be viewed in person, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I think that when I'm thinking about making that work, that's the first and foremost thing on my mind is that, you know, how do I make this address the, the issues of land and uh, observation and use? And then I'm just kind of putting it out there and letting people decide, you know, I think it's kind of one of those things that, uh, even making the work, you know, I've read tons of books on the subject matter, but I don't ever set out to illustrate one point. It's kind of like, uh, there's, there's this general thing that if I, if I feel something fits in the work, it makes sense to me on a, on a materials level or an aesthetic level, then I just trust myself and say, like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I don't go back and look for some type of, um, you know, verification or validation of that. And then the same thing with, like, people viewing it. I think that when someone looks at my work, they may be struck by the the nature of it, you know, that it's relief or they're struck by the, the, the pastoral scenes, you know, cause they're painted well or they're painted interestingly. And then all of a sudden, you know, my mom, she'll be like, Oh, I like that part, you know, cause it's a nice pretty painting of a landscape. But then right next to it, there's all the styrofoam and bubble wrap or something like that. And so it kind of forces you to, it draws people in and then it forces them to think about the larger issues just because of what's present. How did how is it that you started incorporating um, things into more of a installation? Well, those kind of came about in in two different ways. I think one was that I was invited to Pulse to have a solo show at their little uh, like addendum show called Impulse, and so this is down in Art Basel in Miami, and 
you know, I'm a, I consider myself a, an artist who works with the land, and you know, I I respect like sustainable goals and you know things like that. And so, taking all of my work down to Miami and having it on display seemed, uh, you know, it's problematic for me because when I ship my work, I have to think about what am I using. Uh, when I when I made the book that uh, I made with David B. Smith of my work. Um, I thought about who was going to be making the book, you know, it was like, uh, three times cheaper to have it done in China than it was to have it done here. But that, that's not something I'm really interested in. And so there were some things that were problematic about taking my work that deals with land and land use and, uh, sustainability and nature and shipping it down to Miami and having it shown and, uh, kind of pretending like. You know, it's, I only care about the land when I'm in my studio, but when I'm showing my work and when I'm carrying it around the world on these planes and jets that use all this fuel and this and that, then I don't care about it. You know, um, it seemed kind of a contradiction. So what I did is I, I didn't hide the crates. So normally what happens is you ship all your work down there and then you pay to have Pulse hold the crates for you in the storage facility so that they're out of view, obviously. And so what I did is I said, okay, that's what's going to happen. You know, I talked to David beforehand, and I said, well, what are they going to do with all the crates? You know, what are they going to do with all this packing material and stuff? And they said, oh, they, they store them in this facility. And I said, well, I don't want to hide it. You know, like I want to make that part of the piece. I want to make that part of the show. So what I'm going to do is stack up all the crates that I used to get the work that's in the show, uh, stack up those crates right in front of the work. And Dave was like, "Okay, wait a minute. What? <laughs> like, you're gonna you're gonna obstruct the view of the work, you know? Because a lot of times at these fairs, the main thing you're thinking about is what's going to be the piece that's visible from such and such aisle, and you know, so on. You got to like put your your money piece on the uh, in the most visible spot, so it draws people into your booth and this and that. And my whole agenda was to obstruct the work so that you couldn't not see, you know, you couldn't get to the work without noticing all these crits. And they stacked up about like. 20 feet high it was up in the rafters and so we stacked this all up and then i had built beforehand a little diorama that i was going to put inside the one of the crates and that people could put their cell phone up to and take a picture of it and it was a diorama of this like very you know scenic pastoral kind of view and i thought that was an interesting contrast that you would walk up to this object that had you know obviously it was like the shipping material you know all these trees that have been cut down to make the crates and uh, all the plastic and stuff that goes inside of it and that you would stick your phone up to this place and you would see this kind of beautiful landscape and you could take a picture of it with your cell phone and that idea that we hold nature uh, inside of our mind like you know we have this idea of it as being it's out there somewhere, fine, you know, it's protected. We can have dumps here. We can have, we can spray this chemical on our yard here because somewhere there's nature that's beautiful and pristine still. And it's like, we only have this small little corner of the world here. So it's like, it's fine. And that idea that, you know, what's visible on the outside is like, we live in kind of this garbage world, you know, where we put roads in all over the place and we have, you know, tons of just, non-interesting, just kind of gross stuff, you know, 
basically was how I think of it. Uh, it's you know it's all advertising, it's all capitalism, it's all commerce based. You know, signs on the side of the road, giant billboards, and you know everything is kind of like for making money. And you know, there was this thing inside of that, and that's what we hold kind of our idea in our head of nature. We're okay with living in this kind of space that's not so beautiful as long as we hold in our mind that there are still national parks somewhere, you know, Yosemite is still around and that makes it all okay. Right. So that whole idea of like kind of using the, the idea of installation as a way to address something that, um, my work doesn't address was how it started. And so after seeing that, I think the, the people at the museum of art and design were interested in having me make a larger one. And that just worked out really well for the show Otherworldly. I uh, made this giant, like, seven-foot-by-five-foot traditional landscape painting in a gold-leaf frame and had it kind of cascading onto the ground into this diorama. And then it lifted up on these boulders. Uh, they were, like, paper casts from the boulders in uh, from the park. And it lifted up toward the window in the fifth floor of the Museum of Art and Design building, which is on Columbus uh, Circle, and it overlooks the Central Park. And so it was a really great opportunity to kind of address the whole ideas of, you know, like manufactured or artificial kind of landscapes with the Olmsted-designed park and what it means to people now. You know, now people don't think of it as being a manufactured thing, and all those boulders were brought in and, it was a nice uh, way of being able to kind of highlight that or address that, and in a way that I don't think a regular painting of mine or a regular, uh, you know, composition could have done. Well, yeah, and I mean, obviously, the the materials work so so differently, and and especially for those of you that are that are going to be listening to this, um, you know, it's it's nice to to look over these pieces while you're talking about them because you you can really easily see a lot of those connections. Um, and especially how walking around, you know, these these installations would definitely be something that shapes, you know, the way that you're going to experience them. Yeah, it's just very different when you when you look at a piece that's like 24 by 36. It's like you are bigger than it, and your body, the relationship between your body and the work is very different than when you're in an installation and you have to actually walk through the installation. And so that's just a different way of, uh, you know, I've always been interested in uh, addressing how the frame works. You know, some works are unframed and they're just loose laying on the floor and some works are in frames, but they're like coming out of them. Uh, you know, so the whole idea of like working with certain parameters and kind of adjusting them and tweaking them as I go along, that idea of working with size and having the relationship to the body be changed or variable. And I just kind of want to see what happens. Like, what happens when you make a diorama that's bigger than people? And what happens when it's like, you know, one twentieth the size and so on? Well, and, and are there any, um, are there any materials that you haven't, I guess, or I, I guess any new, new modes of working that you're, that you're, I guess, going to be expanding into, or, or is it just something that you kind of come, come to it when, when you come to it? Well, you know, I've been like, again, it's one of those things like, at school lately, during lunch, I've been playing around with this uh, Sumi ink on whiteboard, like dry erase board. 
And it's one of those things that I can see the similarities between it and previous forms of play becoming something kind of serious or interesting. And so I've been making these Sumi large, you know, like four foot by four foot Sumi ink drawings on whiteboards and um, kind of in the old flat style. It's just kind of playful and fun and they're quick and, you know, they only take like 25, 30 minutes to do. Um, so I've been kind of doing that and I've been uh, making really large works like i just had a piece at the nevada museum of art that is uh well it's there right now still it's uh, like over seven feet long uh, four feet plus tall and so it's a, a large work that's in a frame you know and i've been starting to work into the frames like having the work occupy and propagate onto the frame um so, you know, I've kind of always been in lots of different modes. Like I do these captures where I go outside and pour materials onto the ground and then dig them up. Uh, it's kind of a lot of different modes, but I don't really have anything that I'm kind of, uh, you know, gearing up toward right now anyways. Uh, still kind of modifying and playing around with what the options are. Um, I've been using a lot more of that. Uh, plastic, the PETG, to make these kind of turbulent topographies and building stuff on top of them. That's pretty, pretty interesting to me based on, you know, what, what's going on in our society right now, that everything is kind of revolves around petroleum and the cost of petroleum and to make landscapes out of that seems kind of, uh, fitting. And it's also really kind of a sexy material. Sure. <laughs> well, so, and yeah, you just when you bend it, it just has this really great look to it. So here's this thing, you know, it's like it's totally seductive. It's really beautiful to look at. It's like diamonds, you know. They're they're apparently really pretty to look at, but they also come at a cost. Right. So it's like this this love hate again. You know, it's like the material that may draw you in, and you might be interested in it, but then you realize like, oh, that's made out of you know, petroleum, and that's part of the reason why we have a lot of the problems we have, you know, people going to war, uh, is it, yeah, so there's all sorts of problems. Well, it's, I was going to say, it's interesting, too, because even just, especially listening to you talk about it, that idea of play, you know, it's, it's, it's fun because, um, you know, it's, to me anyways, it seems like it's very obvious that you really enjoy what you're doing, too, as opposed to, I don't know, just cycling, kind of like what you were saying, saying a little bit earlier, just, I don't know, like you could, you could be kind of repeating the same things over and over. And it's through this, this aspect of finding new, new materials and, and, and things like that, that it, it I don't know, it seems like it, it always remains uh, fresh for you, but I, I'm just, that's just me talking. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, it's rather enjoyable for me because it, it seems like there's a lineage, um, in what I'm doing and I just keep trying to like kind of push it further a little bit whether it means size or material or you know certain concepts but uh, yeah I never get bored with it if anything I'd like more hours in the day you know where sure. I could be doing what I'm doing and I don't think that's unfamiliar to any artist but uh, yeah I've never had a, a block I've never had anything other than just like uh I need to stop because my wife would like me to socialize. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, we need to go 
to see people, so I can't make stuff today. You know, that's kind of uh, the only time I would ever stop doing what I'm doing. And is um, is travel something that ever plays into it too? In terms of, you know, it seems it seems that I don't know. I, I mean, it seems like moving to I don't know some some desert area for any period of time would somehow have a, a dramatic impact on this. But do you do any do you do any traveling? And does that ever affect what you do? I don't. I mean, being a high school teacher, it's like you don't get a, a ton of time to travel. I do enough traveling like i was just in reno for this uh show at nevada the museum of art there i've been to new york several times for the the stuff there but travel for me usually uh you know it it correlates with where i'm having a show and so i went to arizona i went to california went to seattle you know so all these different places are wherever i have a show and i'm giving a lecture or something like that then i get to go there and it does affect uh since all the, the painting that's in the work is based on memory. You know, it's like I just sit down and kind of start uh, thinking about land. And so it's kind of, uh, f- you know, freeform at that point, a uh, stream of consciousness kind of thing. Um, and I, I like that because it's like, how am I viewing land or how am I thinking about it right now? You know, like what's on my mind when it comes to it? And so then that's where I start from. And if I'm in L.A. for two weeks, then there's palm trees in, in the work. And if I'm not in L.A., there won't be palm trees in the Right, right. And so it's kind of based on what's around me. And, uh, you know, that stuff affects me greatly. And, like, you know, the materials I pick up, too. So when I was out in Nevada, they had these, like, really cool seed pods all over the place. And I was picking up these seed pods and started using them in the work. Because it seemed like, well, there's something that's free and, they're, you know, it's kind of a cool form. And get multiples of it and uh, utilize it in a way, like, you know, I, I kind of think of the, the environment around me as a, a place where I could mine and, you know, use to just the way kind of, you know, the mining industry in Minnesota, you know, they go into the ground and they grab copper and taconite and stuff like that. I just look around and kind of scavenge to find what, you know, what's dead around me that I can use in my work. Well, and it, it's interesting. I wonder, do you, do you wind up... Um, going back to the hotel room early so that you can play around with some materials that you find or <laughs> um, usually when I travel unfortunately I don't you know what I end up doing is I, I try to uh, either rent a car uh, sadly you know that's kind of that's the only way you can get around is to you know so I I'm usually in a city and I want to get out of there right right <laughs> so uh, I, I look for the closest like you know when i was in seattle what did i do i went up to the olympic national forest when i was in um tucson i went to mount lemon and it's like wherever i am when i'm in denver i try to get up into the mountains i try to go up and experience this thing that other people from that area think of as a a vacation you know because it's kind of cool when you're in denver it's like everyone knows the mountains and everyone thinks about the mountains as being this like you know natural thing that like they identify themselves with, but you go up to the mountains and it's like the dirtiest place on earth. It's gross. I mean, it's like all the riverbeds are filled with like clothing and tires and plastic. And it's just, you know, it's like, uh, it's kind of interesting that from afar, it looks like this really great, you know, monument to how, you know, how natural everything is. And then up close, it's just like, 
<laughs> right, right. You know? And I love to see that. I love to experience that. So I, I kind of seek those things out. Like I like to go where people would go from that area if they had time off. You know, so like Minneapolis, everyone goes up to the North Shore or to the lake. You know, uh, and so when I'm in these places, I don't, I don't really work. I just kind of experience. I try to get some kind of feel for what is valued in this in this community. You know, what are they, what, what natural thing do they identify with? And I want to go spend some time with that. Well, and I wonder too, cause you've, you've talked, a, you know, like a good deal about experience and, and observation and, and that. Do you, do you wind up taking pictures of these places then, or do you just observe oh, yeah. them? And it's kind of silly because I take these pictures and I never use them for anything, but it, it is kind of like this idea of, it's a, a silly idea of, you know, wanting to document it and being able to go back to it and kind of also framing it. I do think there's some value in uh, taking a picture of something because it seems like our minds can remember the things that we took pictures of. You know, we stop and we actively pause, take a photograph of something. And it's like, even though we may never go back to that photograph again, the fact that we stopped and took a picture and like labored over the composition or whatever that, um, that our mind remembers that. So it's kind of like a way of cataloging these things in your own mind. Like I always remember the place where I stop and take a picture. If it's on the side of the road or like a scenic turnout or whatever, if it's just like I had to go crawl up on top of this hill to get this picture, it's interesting. Like I said, I never look at those pictures again, really, but, uh, the act of taking a picture seems kind of important. Well, and it's interesting, too, because um, it makes me question that for myself, just because, well, you know, yesterday I was dropping off dropping off work in, in Rockford and then spent, you know, a good chunk of time just driving around and looking for things like that. But, um, you know, there's times where you're, for me anyways, where you're where it's much easier to kind of get into that, that atmosphere, and then there's times where it's just something that's really passed by, Um but it's just interesting because then then people people wind up using those things or not using those things or I don't know it's interesting how how much variety is built into the way that people work through those things or hold on to them or, or you know engage with them or not engage with them. Yeah, and I, I know that you know for me most of it is the the experience of it, like going up to the mountains. You know, it's like the the difference is kind of inspiring, you know, just the change of scenery. And, uh, that's why when I'm in Denver for a week or whatever, all of a sudden the paintings that I come back to have mountains in them, you know? And, uh, yeah. So there is kind of this impression that surroundings make on me, but I, I never, I never feel like I can go back and like, you know, go to pictures of Tucson or Nevada now that I'm not there and use them as references, it just doesn't work. Well, and so you know, I, I, I'm realizing that we've got to got to start tying it, tying a knot knot on this. Um, and so I have some just a, a few more little things to, to kind of ask you about. Um, you know, because you talked a little bit before about wanting to be immersed in that like environment or, or being able to work on, you know, on your work. You know, most of the time, um, are most of them those obligations just. Um, you know, family kind of things, or do you find, do you have other distractions that, you know, you really like mountain biking or something? <laughs> um, you know, I like being out in the land, you know, if I wasn't, that's the biggest, I wouldn't call it a distraction, but I'd call it a biggest time consumer is that 
I like gardening. I like uh, just going out. Uh, I have the, like, these trails that are through my woods that, you know, I kind of, like, walk, and it's the only way I get exercise. So I go walk these trails, and I'll, like, find a cool spot where the sun's coming through, and I'll just sit down and, like, you know, do that observation thing. And then I'm also, like, interested in making the garden here. I guess that's a, a carryover from my mother. Um, but, yeah, so that takes a ton of time to, to manage and maintain a, a garden and uh you know, not only for food, but just for, for visual as well. But, um, uh, otherwise it's like social obligations, you know, you're supposed to go to people's birthdays. <laughs> yeah, tr- yeah. Traditionally. Yeah. Yep, um, so, so there's, you know, if it was up to me, thank God I have someone who's like, you know, uh, more social than I am because I would just sit in the studio all day, every day. And that's probably not that healthy. I mean, I like going out. I like doing the stuff that I, that we end up doing. I enjoy the people that we're with, but I would just never think of it. Right, right. Well, and so one one of my other favorite questions to ask people too is just to kind of you know. Well, and first of all, it'd be it'd be really interesting to actually see what your studio looks like because I, I don't know why I just imagine just like I don't know things things just kind of spiraling out from everywhere. Um, it's kind of a natural history museum. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's there's literally bags of found material everywhere i have like drawers and drawers of styrofoam from france and glass from the beach here and pods from this tree and you know it's just all of it's in bags kind of uh, clear bags labeled and tacked to the wall and and when you're when you are working then um do you do you wind up listening to music or oh yeah um for me you know, I'm I'm way more interested in music than art. You know, uh, when I when I say that, what I mean is I, I respond more viscerally to music. Like when I hear a good band or like some really great musician, uh, it does something to my brain chemistry. You know, like it 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 actually changes me. Whereas art, um, looking at art there's certain ideas that are really inspiring, you know, like I love Yoko Ono and like the, the chess boards, uh, and like, you know, close your eyes, say the word yes, you know, like the, her work is amazing on a conceptual level. It, it just makes me smile, you know, it's great. But, uh, I don't get that excited about seeing most people's work. And so for me, it's all about music and that's, you know, kind of why I think there's a very, like poetic or lyrical quality to the to the work in the first place. Like it, it seems very uh, important to me to have it kind of be uh, almost like you know. I think Justin Vernon. I did that uh, album cover for Bon Iver, and you know, I think one of the things that he said was that like you know, my work is the the visual to his music, and I, I can see why that is. Because, you know, I, I, I attempt to make my work kind of a music, in a sense. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, the, the, or have that kind of reaction towards music, too. Because I, I always thought to myself, like, if there was something else that I should do, or I guess in a way it was almost kind of jealous of, is that kind of reaction. Because you don't, you know, I've never never walked out of a, you know, even like an, a really incredible exhibition and, and seeing, like, you know, legions of people just kind of, you know, um, just like with that look on their face, their fist pumping, like, you know, they, 
they just saw Aerosmith or something. I don't know. I'm just nope. <laughs> we don't get that. Right, right. <laughs> never get that response. And that's what I'm saying. It's something about music that's like captivating. It has you for a while. It does something to you that just seeing something doesn't necessarily do for me. Um, yeah. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's not like I'm rocking out to you know Led Zeppelin in the studio or something like that. I listen to kind of. I have different types of music that you know, like there's studio music and then there's other music. So <laughs> it's kind of like the the more I guess classical or modern classical stuff that's being made is kind of like studio music and then there's more like you know hanging out grilling out kind of music any any guilty pleasures on that and then uh as far as what oh as far as uh grilling music as opposed to the, the kind of <laughs> the kind of tranquil uh music that you, you know, might have just when you're just in the mode and you just want to you know have something going so that you can keep working there's kind of the usual suspects. You know, it's like alternative rock, like stuff that's kind of out there, but not, you know. There, I mean, there's like the, the stuff that just sounds good, like the folk kind of. I like I like all sorts of music. I mean, seriously, like Impulse and Blue Note jazz stuff, like that's amazing to me. And, uh, you know, kind of like late 90s or early 90s you know my bloody valentine and slow dive stuff like that i love that stuff as well i love like you know the pavement spoon that kind of thing so it's just kind of indie rock otherwise you know it's stuff that i think if it at one point was kind of innovative then i liked it but now it's just kind of been normalized and just become kind of you know as like we have a radio station here the current you know and I think it's probably stuff that they will play on there that I just, you know, casually listen to. Right. Well, and it's interesting because I, you know, I mean, and we're kind of just going on about music, but I mean, I, I just remember, I mean, it's interesting when you can remember when like specific albums came out and, you know, it kind of really sets you back into like a specific mode. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and it's, yeah. well, it's just interesting, you know, um, and I don't know if you'd be familiar with them, um, but, um, uh, one of my favorite bands is this band called Apple Seed Cast, and I remember um, I was in um, a summer art program in, in Chautauqua, and you know I remember like you know, and it, this is like a completely isolated setting where you don't have you know it's weird when if anybody hasn't um, experienced being away from something and they watch a lot of television or something like that to kind of be removed from that for any period of time. It's interesting how well first of all how much time you gain. Um, you realize that you waste a lot of time, but, um, you know, I'd sent away for this Apple Seedcast CD and then I remember getting it and then I just listened to that thing like crazy, you know, and you can remember that afternoon you can kind of, I don't know, it kind of really puts you back into that, that frame of mind or those things that you experienced on that afternoon or something like that. And I don't know. It really kind of to reiterate, I think we can both agree that yeah, music is very powerful. Yeah, you know, for sure. And like you said, those moments, uh, for me, my whole life has been a series of what album came out, you know? And so it's that, it's that important. Right. You know? Right. You can mark time by which album you were into like that. Yeah. Well, and I only have a few, I have, I have, I have one or two more things, but I wrote something down earlier that I'm, I'm just kind of curious about and just kind of, kind of go with it. But, um, you know, in terms of, especially since you're a teacher, and this could maybe be even kind of thought of in that aspect of it, um, but, you know, we, 
you know, trying to instill creativity or harvest it in, in, in someone, um, how do you, I, I guess, what kind of advice would you give for someone to, to work on that? Uh, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things that anyone can do is try to make someone think creatively, you know, it's really, it's really difficult. But, uh, I mean, the, the, I think there has to be a hook, you know, for me as a teacher, they have to think that I'm interesting, that they can like trust what I'm talking about, you know, they have to see something that they're interested in. They have to see how it relates to their life or where it could be useful um, you know, and I, I, yeah, it's, it's way more difficult than anything I do in my life. And I always say that I teach because it keeps me kind of grounded. You know, like it's, I go there every day. They don't care who you are. You know? right. <laughs> they, don't, they don't care that you have a show at a museum or whatever. Like <laughs> they're just texting each other about like, you know, what shoe sale is coming up or something. I don't know. I always make fun of them about that. I said, what are you guys even texting about? Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's hard. And, if I had to say, you know, what's the best way to instill creativity in someone is like, unplug them, you know, get out there and like experience the world, you know, or yeah. I mean, I honestly think that what, what people need to do is uh, get in touch with their surroundings a little bit. So many people are like, uh, completely withdrawn and they're totally happy just doing what everyone else does. Right. And they don't, I mean, high school is such a bad time for that because they don't want to be different at all. You know, I mean, the last thing they want to do is be different, but then there are those kids who are like, I want to be different, you know, like make me as different as possible, you know, but for the most part, your average high school student in my high school, it's like, they do not want to be seen as different because that's dangerous. That makes them vulnerable. They actually care about something, and that makes them vulnerable. And so it's it's really difficult at that age to kind of foster creativity. I mean, what I do is I just expose them to a ton of stuff. Right. Look at all these different works. Like, listen to what this person did. You know, there's this woman down in Mexico City who takes bodies and, like, sponge baths them and then takes the water up to New York City and, like, let's it go in a humidifier in the gallery and you know they're like what you know so you just kind of tell them these stories that might get them interested and also just showing them how art is like it's not a subject matter it's kind of a it's a vehicle and there's art about everything from like horse breeding to plumbing to you know bug you know science to whatever you know so there's it's kind of a cool field like that because it would be hard to do that with a lot of different subjects i think Sure, sure. At least to make it visually interesting like that. You know, you could talk about how chemistry is in everything, but it's kind of easy for us because we've got this visual documentation that can kind of hook them in and kind of make it instantly interesting. Well, and my, my last thing for you is just, um, you know, is, is there anything coming up that, that we should check out that, that you're excited about that's, uh, that's big or small even? Well... Uh, I just had this opening at the uh, Nevada Museum of Art, and that I went out there and had a great time. Like they've got an awesome facility there, and a really great uh, like land and environment, art and environment uh, library out there. That's pretty cool. Uh, every book that you would ever want is in there. Um, I'll 
coming is uh, I'll have some work at um, Art Basel again in Miami with David B. Smith, and I think I have a solo show at uh, some fair in New York following that. I'm not sure if it'll be Pulse or something else, but one of those fairs. And then I have a solo show at David B. Smith coming up this uh, fall as well. So a couple, I'm kind of on uh, production mode. I'm getting married in June. So kind of have uh, a lot of stuff to do before this fall. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now is making all of these pieces so that they're ready for uh, being shipped and stuff. So that's kind of all that I'm working on. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun then. Yeah, should be fun. Excellent. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Thanks again to Gregory for joining us today. You can find out more about his work by visiting GregoryEuclid.com. And please get out there and see some of that art. It looks fantastic. If you like what you heard today, remember there's plenty of other interviews at studiobreak.com. If you have any trouble with the default player, you can right-click and save as to get the file that way. Or you can go to iTunes and subscribe for Studio Break. Just search under Studio Break under the iTunes store and subscribe there. It's as simple as that. We'd love it if you take the time to join us at Studio Break on Facebook. Just like us there. You're going to find out more about upcoming artists joining the podcast and see previews of their work. While you're there, if you could forward that information on to the MFA-BFA competition that is now open, please, students, apply. We want to get more and more great entries. And if you could share that and encourage your students to apply, we'd really greatly appreciate it. Music for today's episode can be found at freemusicarchive.org, where you can download a ton of free music. Today we opened up with Jason Shaw's River Meditation, and we'll be taken out with geotechs at our cabin in the woods both great albums and again you can download those at freemusicarchive.org got an exciting announcement too our first visiting guest for studio break john reddington has a show opening up tuesday may 1st at the dublin arts center in ohio all new work please go and check that out i think it's going to be very exciting and i think just to apologize for losing an episode um, which is not available anymore. We're going to re-record it and put it out there so you'll get a new in-depth interview with John talking about his work there. Lastly, again, if you like anything that you've heard today, please check out Studio Break. Please leave us some comments. Again, you can check out my work at davidlinaway.com and at fivepiecesgallery.com. That's all the show we have today. We'll talk to you soon.